What do you do? You just got back from the vacation of a lifetime. You've been saving for years. You took the big cruise, two weeks in the Caribbean, did the whole thing. You got the sunburn marks to prove it. You had the time of your life. It's great. You're exhausted the way you're supposed to be after going on vacation. And you're just driving home from the um, airport where you've been dropped off. And you pull up into your driveway. You go to the trunk and pull the bags out. You're exhausted. You're carrying them toward the front door. And as you reach the doorstep, you notice the door is ajar. You push slightly on it, it opens up quietly, you stick your head in, and you see the entire house has been ransacked. Most of what you had is gone. And everything that isn't gone has been destroyed. They didn't just come to take your stuff, your jewelry, your money, your flat screen, all that kind of stuff. They came to ruin your life. All of your important papers are gone. All of your photo albums are gone. Everything that you treasure is either missing or destroyed. And you feel that sick feeling that you feel when you know you've been violated. And it feels dirty to even be in your own house. What do you do in that moment? Or how about this? Your spouse has been on your case because you've reached a couple of birthday milestones and there's tests you need to get and you haven't gotten the tests. And finally, you take a week off of work. You spend the first two days getting all those terrible tests that you don't want to get. And you're enjoying the last couple of days of your week off when on Thursday afternoon, your cell phone rings and you pick it up and it is your doctor. Not your doctor's office, your doctor. And he says, I need to see you about some of the tests that we ran this week. And you say, well, I think I can make it Tuesday or Wednesday. He says, how about half an hour? And he realized this is not good. What do you do? Or what do you do when it's late at night and the phone rings and you answer the phone and they ask if you're the parent of so-and-so and you think... Um, my kids are at camp. What's going on? And you say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm his parent, but he's at summer camp. And he says, yeah, that's what we called about. You see, uh, he took a weapon with him, and there's been a terrible incident. This is the sheriff's department, and we need you to come down now. What do you do? Well, if you're a part of the body of Christ, the church, whatever you do, you don't have to do it alone. Whatever you do in those situations where you say, man, if hell is any worse than this, I don't want any part of it because I feel like I'm going through hell on earth right now. When you are in those moments and there are no ways to escape having some of those moments, amen? It's called life in a broken world. And, and when you have those moments, whatever you do, you don't have to do it alone. We have been talking about what it means to be the church and what it means when we say the church is better together. 
And, and we've been trying to get a picture of that from the book of Acts. And we've been going through that and looking as the story has been unfolding. Um, and we left off where Peter and John were on trial before the Jewish council. The same people who exercised their power to put Jesus to death. And they're standing before that council because they didn't plan it this way. But they went to a worship service and a miracle broke out. And that miracle led to a big crowd, and that big crowd led to Peter opening his mouth, because that's what Peter does. And when Peter preaches, thousands of people come forward and give their lives to Jesus Christ. And there is basically what looks like a circus going on in the temple square, until finally the temple guard shows up along with the priests. These guys get arrested and for disturbing the peace at the temple, and they're taken away, and they're put on trial before the council, and we saw all of that in the last couple of weeks. And the council, not knowing what to do with them, decided to threaten them and try to scare them. And they told them, listen, we're going to let you go, but here's the deal. Shut up about Jesus. We don't want to hear that name mentioned one more time. If we even get an inkling that you're out there preaching in that name, that you're out there healing or doing some sort of miraculous thing in that name, we thought we got rid of that problem a few weeks ago. We do not need that popping up again. So shut up about Jesus. And if you don't, you will wish you had. And Peter and John look these men in the eye, these men who have the power to put them to death. And they look them in the eye and they respectfully tell the priests that given the choice between obeying them and obeying God, they have to obey God every time. And Jesus has commanded them to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. So they threaten them again and they tell them, listen, we're not kidding. You saw what we did to Jesus. If you don't stop, you will pay the price. And then they let him go. This has become a major crisis. All they did was leave for the worship service that morning, and they found themselves in this situation. What do you do when suddenly you're in a crisis like this? Whatever you do, if you're a part of the church, if you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever you do, you don't have to do it alone. And that's what they understood in Acts chapter 4. So turn your Bibles to Acts 4. And we're going to dig into this just a little bit more. And we're going to pick it up in Acts 4 verse 23, which is right when they're being released, Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Fifth book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, look on with somebody or I'll just read it to you, okay? Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Listen, there, there's a... There's a truth about being a part of the body of Christ and having problems. And here's what it is. If you're a Christian, it's not my problem. 
it's our problem. It's not your problem, it's our problem. If you're a follower of Christ, your problems are shared, your burdens are carried, your load is lifted because we do it together. What did they do when they found themselves in this crisis situation? They went back to the church. They went back to their companions. They went back to their brothers and sisters and they said, listen, there's something going on you guys need to know about. And everybody just took them in and they began to take care of them. It is not my problem when I'm a follower of Christ. It's our problem. Uh, Carl George, who is a great Christian thinker, um, he, he, he did some homework for me and so I just stole what he did. He went through the entire New Testament, and he counted up all the times in the New Testament we are told to do something with one another, do something for one another, avoid doing something with or for one another, and he compiled a list. In the New Testament, there are 59 mentions of us doing something for one another, and, and I'm going to read them to you. Are you ready? Okay, if the person next to you looks sleepy, elbow them right now. 59 things on the list. Ready? Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. 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 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Have equal concern for one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You had no idea there was so much kissing in the Bible, did you, right? (laughs) Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. In humility, consider others as better than yourself. Page 2. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another and love one another. Do you kind of get the idea 
that when God sort of created the church, that he had in mind something more than just attending the same events on Sunday mornings. You get the idea that when God created the church, he actually designed something that was meant to be sort of a superstructure that holds up our lives, that the weaving together of our lives is absolutely essential to being the church and that we are, in fact, better together. In case you missed it, pray for one another is James 5.16. In case you missed it, carry one another's burdens is Galatians 6.2. Encourage one another is in there four different times and probably ten different times in different forms. And love one another leads the list with 15 direct mentions. Eight just in John's letters at the end. Listen, your blessings are not just your blessings. And your problems are not just your problems. We bear each other's burdens around here. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We love each other, whatever that looks like in a given instance. We're the body of Christ and we are better together. So when Peter and John were in trouble and they were in serious trouble and their life had gone to re- from really good to really in crisis overnight, what did they do? They ran to their church family and immediately the church began to pray. Man, I bet they wished. They were probably thinking to themselves, man, if only we had some little, I don't know, like a green and white card we could just share our prayer needs on. You could just like, you know, put that in a box somewhere and then the whole church would be praying. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be cool, they probably thought, if there was some magical machine and you just hit it with your fingers and then everybody gets to know what the prayer need is instantaneously. Wouldn't that be cool? Then, then, When you get that call and your house has been ransacked, there would be people there within five minutes ready to hold you and let you cry on their shoulders and help you work through the mess. You would not get to the hospital in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ. They would be waiting at the emergency room to help bear your burdens. See, when they knew that there was a crisis at hand, they immediately came together, and when they came together, they realized this is bigger than we are. We better call somebody bigger than this. And they began to pray. Now, I want you to, I, I want you to notice this. Let's begin in verse 23, okay? Um, when they had been released, they went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. 
to do whatever your hand and your purpose had predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant, that, grant your bondservants that we may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So it's important to notice that the first thing they did is pray. They did not have a planning meeting. They didn't call their local uh, political representatives and try to get help. They immediately went to prayer. That's what they did. But I'm not so amazed by that. It's the content of their prayer that blows my mind. Even when they're in serious danger, their prayer is not self-focused. It's God-focused. It's so interesting. Verse 24, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Sometimes when we pray, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I realize that I've just been filling God in on stuff. Uh, have, you, have you done that? And then I stop and go, oh, he probably doesn't need to be told, Right? But it's so interesting when you read prayers in Scripture how often people are telling God stuff that God already knows. In this case, they begin by telling God who He is. And I'm sure God is in heaven going, oh, thank you, I was so confused, right? <laughs> that, that's not the thing. They're telling Him who He is. Why? Is it for Him or for them? It's for them. Guys, prayer is so much more for us than it is for God. Don't think for a second that God is sitting there going, oh, I wish I, was, I could change something if somebody would just pray. Listen, if anybody ever taught you that, that God is a hand-wringing God, they lied. God can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, where He wants, with who He wants. Amen? He's not waiting for you to get your prayer right. Let me correct one other thing while I'm on this uh, soapbox. Um, and I've said this many times before, but we need to get it right because so often we get it wrong. So often I hear people say, you know, prayer has power. There's power in prayer. There's not power in prayer, you guys. There's power in Jesus Christ. He has the power. So don't think that by praying I can make something happen because my prayer has power. That's not the point. The point is God has the power and prayer is the way that we access God's ear and ask him to unleash that power. And he will do what he will do and what he does is always right. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, so we got that out of the way. They're praying and they're telling God how great he is. Man, if I was praying right now, if I was them, my prayer would have been something like, God, they're gonna kill us! Help us now! Hey, God, kill them. <laughs> hey, God, build a big fortress around us so they can't get to us, right? That's the way I pray. <laughs> they prayed, God, you made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. We are addressing the one who is able we are addressing the one who has the power to do what he will do when he will do it. It's about his greatness and his power. And so they, they begin to talk to him about that. And they're reminding themselves and each other about how faithful God is. 
how faithful he's been about things in the past. It's totally appropriate to pray that way. Now look at verses 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about when Jesus was taken away from them, beaten to a bloody pulp, and hung out a cross till he was dead, and then put in a tomb. That's what they're talking about. They're saying these are the same people who did that to Jesus. They did what to Jesus? They did whatever your plan had predestined to occur. All of that suffering... All of that blood, all of that pain and anguish and humiliation, it was in God's plan. From before the foundation of the world, when he created man, he knew where we were going and he already had a plan to save us. See, it's so important for us to understand that not every time something bad happens is the outcome going to be bad. Now, I, you know, this, this just came alive in my own life this week. One of my children had to be hospitalized. And it was bad, painful, a lot of blood. And then my granddaughter was born. <laughs> and the result of all of that was this. And, and if you're ever the preacher, we'll put your grandkids on the screen. <laughs> but do you get the point? Labor stinks, or so they say. I don't know. I don't know. Labor is tough. Labor is anguish and terrible and painful and all of that. And yet the result is amazing. The result is a blessing. And there are times when those kinds of blessings don't come without some suffering and difficulty. Just because it's hard, just because it's painful, just because I don't understand doesn't mean God's not at work. These early disciples seem to understand that the most important thing in life is not to be pain-free. The most important thing in life is to know God and live a life that honors Him. Let's pick it up in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're not asking for relief from their situation, which, by the way, they would have been totally in the right to do. The scripture tells us over and over again to cry out to God from our anguish, right? It tells us that we're to ask God for what we need and that we ask and we receive. So there's absolutely nothing wrong if they had gone to God and begged him to just remove these threats. But they understood the bigger picture. And so instead of asking for the threats to be removed, they were told, if you speak the word of God anymore... 
you will pay a terrible price. So what did they pray for? Confidence to speak the word some more. They prayed for guts. They prayed for boldness. They prayed that they would not give in to fear. They wanted to obey God and they needed the courage to do that. So let me ask you a question. What is God-honoring ministry really all about anyway? Is it about speaking the truth or is it about meeting needs? The answer is yes. <laughs> it is about speaking the truth and meeting needs. Verse 29. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. We realize that when we speak your word, amazing things happen. I mean, it's one thing when a crippled guy jumps up and dances. We're all impressed. But what about the 5,000 people who just went from death into life because Peter preached the word? The confidence to preach the word. People ask me, how do you, how do you know what to talk about? Where do you get your ideas? Guys, I've got this book and it's big. I don't know if you've read the whole thing, but there's a lot in here. And so I'm going to keep preaching this. If you get bored... Blame God. <laughs> I'm going to preach this. The confidence to preach God's word, to speak the truth, right? That's ministry. But look at verse 30. While you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, just as Jesus expressed compassion and met needs, keep doing that through us, God. We want to speak your word, but we also want to touch lives and meet needs and encourage the brokenhearted and lift up the downtrodden. We want to come alongside those who have been separated out and feel alone. We want to be friends to the friendless. We want to feed those who are hungry. We want to clothe those who are naked. We want to visit those who are in prison. We want to meet needs. Lord, please give us confidence. Give us boldness. Give us courage. God, give us Holy Spirit guts that we would have the courage to go out and spend ourselves meeting the needs of other people. Now look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. He answered their prayer right then. I, I don't know how this went down. I just have the same Bible you have. I don't know anymore. I don't have any inside secrets. But I'll tell you how I picture it. So there was a, a room like this. They're gathered like this. They're praying. And they're praying for boldness. And suddenly the room begins to shake. Now in Southern California, we wouldn't even stop praying for that, right? <laughs> That's no big deal, right? But, but the room begins to shake. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're just completely surrendered to Jesus. And He is just ruling their lives. And as He fills them, they burst through the back doors and they just go find people to speak the word boldly to. They began speaking the word of God with confidence, with boldness. And they went out and began looking for people whose needs they could help meet. And I want you to notice it wasn't just Peter and John who were emboldened like this. It was all of them. 
That's what happens when we're in this together. When we actually include people in our pain, when we include people in our rejoicing, when we include people in our needs, we get to be in this together so that when God comes through for us, He didn't just come through for me, He came through for all of us. When a miracle takes place in my life, it doesn't just take place in my life, it takes place in our life. And all of us are emboldened and all of us are built up and all of us are filled with the Spirit and ready to go out and do something amazing. That's what happens when we do it together. But I will tell you this. We have a very real enemy, and he has a very real strategy, and his strategy is about separation of God's people. And he wants to separate us in any way that he can. He wants to separate us by class. He wants to separate us by race. He wants to separate us by political views. He wants to separate us by any sort of thing that just could stand in the way and be a dividing wedge He wants to separate husband from wife. He wants to separate parents from children. He wants to separate friend from friend and brother from sister from one another. That's what he wants to do. And so we have to understand that's the battle that we're in. That's why we have to be intentional about doing this together. Now, let me just say one thing before I go on about this boldness. They prayed for boldness to speak the truth. And he gave them boldness to speak the truth. Let me just say something. Most of you don't need to hear this, but some of you do, so I'm going to say it to everybody. Boldness and rudeness are not the same thing. Okay? Speaking the word with boldness does not mean putting something on a picket sign and beating somebody over the head with it. Speaking the word with boldness does not mean pointing fingers and wagging them at people. Speaking the word with boldness is about going out and meeting needs and bringing a conversation around to the truth of Jesus Christ. Man, people were asking them what's going on. They were asking them. They got opportunities to share left and right because they were living in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mean recklessness. It doesn't mean rudeness. It means that they were fearless. They simply became more concerned with the glory of God and the benefit of others than they were about their own comfort. Now look at verse 32, and we'll start to wrap this. And the congregation of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. It's amazing how quickly the unity and the deep fellowship developed in this group. They were focused on God and others, but they received the added benefit of the joy and the fulfillment and the sense of purpose that comes with actually following God. And, and how many times on our list did we see some version of encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another? And I say this all the time because the Bible says it so many times in so many ways. Encourage one another. What does it mean to encourage someone? It doesn't mean your hair looks nice today. That's a compliment. That's not an encouragement. Encouragement is, hey, Don't give up. God's got you. You can do this. Trust God. Get out there. Fight the good fight. I'll go with you. It's to infuse someone with courage. That's what it is to encourage someone. And they were encouraging each other. And there's something powerful when you begin to see we're we're all doing this. 
This isn't just me being some kind of weird Jesus freak and freaking everybody out. This is us actually walking with God in a way that's full of faith and boldness and courage. And God is changing the world through us. See, God doesn't take anything away from you when you finally take your eyes off yourself and put them on Him and on others. You, you, might, you might give something up and you don't lose anything. You, you, might, you might give away some material thing to someone who needs it more than you do, and yet God continues to meet your needs in ways that you would never even miss what you gave up. You, you may give time to something where you go, man, I, I got places to be and things to do and deadlines to meet. There have been so many times, you guys, when I thought, man, I am up against it. Because listen, I'll, I'll give you a little inside scoop. When you're a preacher, Sunday comes every week. There's a deadline. And I don't just look this up in sermon.com. I have to actually dig in and, and figure out what the Lord wants to say this week and struggle with the word and all that kind of stuff. And there's a deadline. And there are times when the week is crazy and Monday gets by me and Tuesday and Wednesday and pretty soon it's Thursday and somebody says, what's the sermon on this week? I go, oh, it's a surprise. You got to come. <laughs> you know, and I'm like struggling. I'm like, wow, Lord, give me something, right? You know, and then, and I'm like, okay, finally, Friday afternoon, that I'm, I am just in my office. Nobody's going to even know I'm here. I'm going to dig in. And that's when I get a call and so-and-so went to the hospital. And now there's, you know, and, and there's been so many times I said, Lord, I got another two hours to put into this. It should take me 15 hours. Could you multiply my usefulness of my time. <laughs> and it's been amazing to watch God do amazing things because I've been giving and giving and giving. I've been God-focused and other-focused. And then there have been those weeks when I've been so Doug-focused that I didn't get anything done. And you had to sit through some of those sermons. I apologize. <laughs> but it is amazing what God can do when the church begins to let him be their God. And we begin to live the way he calls us. It, it, it's amazing how he worked in the early church. Amazing how he created the love and the unity and the respect among them who were just total strangers to one another just days and weeks before. It's an amazing story, but it did not end at the end of the first century. It is still going on today. Guys, we're in the story. Don't forget, we're still part of this story. The story is still being told. This is what Jesus is doing now. At Grace Fellowship, we are on a quest. If you're new around here and you don't know, I'm going to tell you. We are on a quest. We are going to do three things or die trying. We are going to love God, love people, and change the world. That's our quest. That's what we're doing together. That's what we linked arms and said. That's what it's going to be all about. And that's what we're doing. If you find us doing things that don't have anything to do with that, please come to me. Let's talk about it because I need your correction. We're doing those three things. That's what God called us to be about. He's called other organizations and groups to be about other things. This is what we're about. Loving God, loving people, and changing the world. It's an unbelievable adventure and it continues today with us but don't forget it began with Jesus it began with him it began when he left the throne of heaven and entered the womb of Mary it began as he 
walked the earth and maintained a pure life regardless of the level of temptation he was facing. It began during that time when he was working miracles and preaching the truth and changing lives and making disciples. It began when he bloodied and broken carried his cross up Calvary's hill to lay down his life for us. No one took it from him. It began then. It began with a resurrection. All of that's the beginning of the story. And that's why 2,000 years later, the followers of Jesus, those of us who are united around him, still do the same thing. We still take bread and wine and we still remember his broken body. We remember his blood that was poured out for us. That's the symbol. Jesus took bread at the Last Supper and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Take it and eat it. And then he poured out wine and he said, and this is the blood of the new covenant. A covenant not in works and law, but in grace and mercy. A new covenant that I will buy with my blood. And he said, take this bread and take this wine. And as long as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And his church, his family, his body, his people, we've been doing it ever since. See, it wasn't a one-time thing when Jesus died on the cross. It was a change eternity forever thing. And if that's been true in your heart, if you have accepted the love of Jesus Christ, if you have turned from your sin, if you have said yes to the lordship of Jesus and become a follower of Christ, then this is for you. Now, if you're here visiting with us trying to figure out this whole Bible and Jesus thing, thank God you're here. I hope you'll keep coming back and coming back and coming back. But you don't need to even come and do this because it doesn't have any significance for you. But for those of us who've been washed in the blood, ah, it's a moment of celebration. And so I want to invite you. Pastor Ricky is just going to play some music. And I'm going to pray in a moment. And at the end of every aisle, there's four different stations where there's bread and there's juice. And you could just go and you could just tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And remember the blood and the body of Christ, that it was for you, that it was for us. And together, we, his church, continue to walk in this grace. Isn't God good? Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful beyond words for your faithfulness to us, that you, you considered no price too high. You sent your very son. That Jesus, you, you did not shrink back, but you paid the price for our sin with your blood and your body on the cross. We thank you, God, that though you were laid in the tomb that day, you didn't stay in the tomb. We thank you that you've defeated both sin and death on our behalf and that we get to participate in that with you through our unity with you by faith. We thank you that that's all of you and not of us. We're the recipients of your amazing grace. So we say thank you as we join together and take the bread and take the juice and remember all that you've done to make